0: Good morning Burlington Baptist Church. How many of you are happy to be in the Lord's house today? Me too. It's good to see all of you. If you're a guest, first time guest, we are honored to have you with us and we're uh, grateful that you chose to be with us today and worship with us. My name is Kent and I'm the senior pastor. I think most of you know me, right? Hey, we got chairs. Have you noticed that? We're almost done. We're, we're on the downhill slope, I think. We're pressing on, so uh, we appreciate all the hard work that's been going into that. Appreciate your patience. We're starting a new series today, and the new series is kind of a different one. As I prepared for this message, I prayed, and, and uh, this was a, a while back, and I got to thinking about it, and, and so I landed on the book of Revelation. Ooh. As I shared that I was going to do this, some of the people and the responses that I got were were amazing. You know, I mean, I had everything from "Man, I'm scared to death of that book. I don't read that book. I don't look into that book. I, I don't fool with that book." And you know, here's the thing, man, it's an incredible book, full of a lot of things that are amazing. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at the first three chapters. There's some things that are happening in the first three chapters uh, about some churches. And there's there some things in these churches that we can take home with us today, the principles of what are in those, on those verses. So I want us to look at that verse, uh, uh, first chapter, and we're going to read 20 verses here. Bear with me, but follow along with us because we have to get this backdrop to get what's going on, okay? You with me? You with me? Yeah. Okay, here we go. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to the servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God, watch this, this is a, I love this. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This is a letter from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests. For God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Did you ever think about yourself being part of a kingdom of priests? Wow, watch this. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Watch this. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was suddenly—I worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a trumpet, but it's pretty loud. If it was standing right behind you, it'd really be loud. He's having a time of worship, and he hears this voice that's that loud. It blasts like a trumpet, and it said, Write in a book everything you see, and send it to the seven churches, the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, "'Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. "'When I turned to see who was speaking to me, "'I saw seven gold lampstands, "'and standing in the middle of the lampstands "'was someone like the Son of Man. "'He was wearing a long robe "'with a gold sash across his chest. "'His head and his hair were white like wool, "'as white as snow, "'and his eyes were like flames of fire. "'His feet were like polished bronze "'refined in a furnace, "'and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves.' He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of his brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Wow, I like this. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. Write down what you see, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars. Watch this. You saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for this passage of Scripture. We are thankful for this book, Lord. I pray, God, that you bless the time we have together. I pray your Holy Spirit teaches us what it would have us to know. And I pray, God, that when we leave this place today, we will say it's been good to have been in your house. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you for John and for his writing of this and for Jesus revealing it to him, our Savior. And we pray, God, that you would just be with us now in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, amen. Amen. So I've got to set a backdrop against this. Because, you know, when you talk about the book of Revelation, like I said, people have all kinds of ideas about it. And I want you to notice there is no S on this thing. It's the book of Revelation, right? So we want to get that right out of the gate. It's the book of Revelation, and there's this guy named John. Remember the name John? John was one of the disciples. At the time of this writing, they think John is pushing 90 years old, maybe older, and he's the only one left. Now, the book of Revelation is a book that's written in a a kind of a a veiled language, and, and this language is called apocryphal writing. And so we don't have that today. And I think this is where part of the confusion can come in sometimes because, you know, this, this stuff we read, and we don't understand that. But it was written because it was written in veiled language for the church to understand, okay? So we got, we got this guy that's put on an island. Back in the day, there were seven churches on the Romans Road. It was like the 275 loop. There it is. See the loop? And these seven churches were in this area. This is over, over, being overrun by the Romans, and so they're preaching the gospel, and the book of Acts is where these churches were developed, some of them. And Ephesus is the book of Ephesians. It's the people that were at Ephesus, right? And so, so this church is established, and, and, and John was put out there on that little red spot for preaching the gospel, persecuted. Can you imagine? 90 years old, sharing the gospel. He's the only one of the 12 left, and he's exiled. Put in a place. Man, I'd be screaming like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Here I am. What's up with this, right? You know what he was doing? Did, we, did you see what he was doing when we just read, set this up? He was worshiping the Lord. And as I studied this and as I looked into this, I found it interesting that one of the guys said that this, this was a really bad situation that he was placed in. That this prison thing was not something, I mean, they were, they were mistreated. It was like a dungeon. It was horrible. And John is in this situation and God speaks to him. Anybody ever been in a dungeon in your life, and you're worshiping, and God speaks to you? I already see a connection, don't you? And so we have a church and churches that are, that are following Jesus. Now, this is on down the road from the book of Acts a little bit. Church had time to develop a little bit. And things are happening. And so this letter is written. And it's written, and it's called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, this book is amazing. There's great works of art taken from the book of Revelation. Michelangelo painted paintings. Um, There's even heavy metal bands that do songs about the book of Revelation. Yeah, it's a fascinating book. But it was written in a veiled language to some extent. I was a little boy. I remember going to church, and and there was a preacher who had this board. It was about this big, and he preached the book of Revelation. He drew on this board, and I just sat there like this, wow. This section that we're talking about sometimes is overlooked for all the other parts of Revelation. And these churches were a lot like us. You see, this was a bustling area. The, the area of Ephesus was, was huge. It was, it was a place where uh, it was like a metropolis to some extent. It was a cosmopolitan kind of a place. And to understand why he's writing this the way he is, we have to understand what he's writing to. You see, I believe that the book of Revelation... It's just like every other book in the Bible. I believe it's a book of hope. And sometimes I think we get confused because when we're, when we're into this, we, you know, we, we think, you know, I'm going to read this. And we haven't even read the rest of the book. I mean, how many books do you check out of the library and you take them home and you read the last chapter and start there? Come on. And, and, and as you read the rest of the book, it starts making sense. I mean, it kind of pulls together. You see there's a theme here and you see there's a story. And you know what it is? We win. We win, and this church is being persecuted, and this church is being drilled down, and, and John's out there, and, and he's on this island, and, and, and he's, he's worshiping, and God reveals to him and gives him hope. He says, grace, peace, hope. That's the story of this book, is hope, is hope. And so as we look at this, we look at these provinces of, of Asia. Rome is the governing, the governing body, and, and the Christians have been scattered all over the place. They're being persecuted in some places, being imprisoned, and poor John, here he is, out there on this island. A historian named William Ramsey says that his, his imprisonment and his, his isolation was like this. Such banishment that he experienced would be preceded by scourging, marked by perpetual fetters, scanty clothing, insufficient food, sleeping on a bare floor in the dark, working under clash of a military overseer. And we think our Monday mornings are tough. Right? You see what's happening? I mean, this stuff is real. And it's happening here. And how lonely he must have felt. He's the only one left. And now he's on an island all by himself. But he wasn't alone. Jesus appeared to him. And I want to tell you something. Today you may be here, and your heart may be breaking, and you, you may be feeling like you're alone, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is with you. He is with you. So this angel appears to John in the middle of his situation. And he sets this thing up, and he says to him, God blesses the one who reads this book. And he talks to them. Now, you know, if it was such a bad thing, why would he tell us to read the book? And why would it be there if he didn't want us to know what it was about? So it says, God blesses those who read the words of this prophecy, but not just reads it, but he blesses all those who listen to its message, and there's a key word right here, and obey what it says as it was presented to John. Where did this book come from? He who is, he who was, and he is to come. That's, who it, that's the author. When you look in your Bible as you read this, it's in red letters. If you have a red letter edition, how cool is that? Diane says, I say that too much. How cool is that? So It's my age. I'm sorry. He tells of this vision of seeing Jesus, and it's an amazing picture to this man who is, is isolated, who's put in a tough place. And as we read this story, we see that the angel appears to this church, to him to write this letter to this church. It's one of the seven. And I believe, I believe that the book of Ephesus has more in common with us than we think. The city of Ephesus, I think it does. Check this out. It was the vanity fair of the ancient world as you look it up. It was the third largest population at the time. There were over a quarter million people there. It's situated at the mouth of a river. Now, back in these days, we didn't have vehicles, obviously, like we do. So it's on this road that comes, three roads come into this town and a river. Guess what? That's a great place for commerce, right? And so right in the middle of all this, they start building this incredible place. You realize that they were a lot like us? They had a stadium that had, it would seat 25,000 people. I just hope they had a team better than ours. I don't even watch sports. I don't even know what I'm talking about, you guys. That's probably why you're laughing, right? In the middle of all this, where this commerce and all these things take place, people start coming from all walks of life, all over the place, and guess what happens? It becomes a melting pot, and there was this, there was this worship that took place there, and they worshiped this goddess, and her name was Artemis. And she was the god of fertility. And they built statues to her. And they built this temple to worship her in. And it was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. Can you imagine? And so it's right in the middle of this that this church is functioning. It's right in the middle of this that things are going on. And, and so we see that this that, that city was, was, was diverse, that it was, it was a modern, uh, in fact, as we read about it, they said it was a cosmopolitan, wealthy, bustling area. Uh, it was the interesting uh, thing that they had running water. What? Did you know that? And they had they had hot and cold running water was happening. They had clay pipes under the ground to carry cold air. Can you imagine being a furnace repairman in that time? Imagine you had to be a clay work work with clay, you know, because they were made out of pottery. I guess it was a growing city. And this city was founded uh, uh, by uh, people that like to work. In fact, they believe, legend had it, that this bee led the beginning people years back many, many years ago, led people, the bee, a bee, an insect, led them to this place. Can you believe this? And the bee's a little busy person, and so they were busy people. And that was their mantra. That was their brand. They even put it on their money. We got a picture of the money? Look at this. It's got the bee on it. Well, I'm glad we don't do crazy stuff like that in our time, aren't you? Come on, it's getting real now. Book of Revelation, speaking to us, right? Yeah, these folks were, were living and thriving. And, and if you want to read about the, this, the founding, founding of this, this church, look in the book of Acts when you get home. Look in chapter 18 and 19, because that's where, where it's talking about. And that's where Paul, go, it tells the story about Paul. He goes on these missionary trips, and he goes into the middle of this city with all this stuff going on, with all this paganism going on, And he starts preaching Jesus. And the church just starts taking off. One of the main incomes that they had, this worship of this pagan goddess was so popular that they took all of their metal things and they developed this. It became an industry. It was one of their main industries was building idols to this thing, to this goddess. Paul goes in there and starts preaching, and people start getting saved. And guess what happens? There's a revival in this church. And the city's turned upside down. It's, it's in Acts chapter 18. Some, of the, some people became stubborn rejecting this message. Verse 9 of, of chapter 18 says this, but speaking against. So they left, Paul, Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. And in verse 18 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts, it says, Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, watch this, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. Wow, I thought we just started doing that in the 60s. Watch this. The value of the books, I'm reading the scripture, Acts 19, 18. It says, the value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and powerful in effect. When was the last time that you know in history of a city was turned upside down and the economy was affected by a Christian movement? Powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's happening, and this town, this town is is thriving, and, 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 and the gospel message is going out, and they've had time, and so John has a letter and has a word for this church, and I believe that this church is a lot like we are today, because, see, what happened was they got so busy, they got so busy that the main thing wasn't the main thing. Now, watch this, watch this. In Revelation chapter 2, it says this. I have this complaint against you. You don't love each other as you did at first. Did you catch that? You don't love each other as you did at first. The issue at hand was they had lost their first love. How easy is that to do? But see, what happened was, they were busy, and they were doing their thing, but then as this thing started going and growing, they got distracted. And the next thing you know, they're just doing because they're doing. And boy, I tell you, has that ever happened in a church? Huh? Come on. You know, I mean, doing just because? This is what we do. I don't know why we do it, but this is what we do, because this is what we've always done. And the world around them starts suffering. The gospel message starts suffering. It's a thing that he's warning them about. You've got to come back to your first love. The issue at hand was that they'd grown cold. They'd shifted for their, from their love for God to do the things I do for God. And it was more about works, and it was more about doing the things and just doing it. And then it became an end in itself. Has that ever happened in your life? And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it's just kind of we're just doing it. And then it gets cold. And Paul is writing to this or church, I mean John is writing to this church Jesus is revealing to him, be careful. Stay focused. Stay focused on what's important, what matters. See, the church at Ephesus was was famous for their deeds, and they went from the great I am to the great I to do. And I think sometimes that can happen in our culture, can't it? I mean, sometimes we can get so busy. You ever feel like you're like, just running, 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 running all the time, and you think, what in the world? You, Monday, and then Tuesday, and the next thing you know, you come back, and a week's gone, and we're just busy. And then we, and we go through the motions sometimes of things, and, and then we don't even remember what we've done. Anybody ever? Is it just me? You know? I mean, I mean seriously, this is important, because, because this church had lost their first love, and their first love was love. They'd lost the reason for why they were doing it. They were just doing it. God help us that we don't do that in this church and as the body of Christ in this country and in the world. And sometimes it's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, when you have a comfortable place to come and sit down and walk in, and I'm grateful for this place, don't get me wrong. But we come in and, 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 and we go through the motion sometimes. And so as I begin to think about our church, here's the mantra for the next year. I don't want us to just go to church. I want us to go be the church. Because that is what God, that's what Jesus called us to do. Now, what does that look like for you? What does that look like? I, I mean, each one of us have our gifts. And God's, I I, I hammer this all the time, but God has called you and given you special gifts. Each one of you, I tell you this, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You are special in the eyes of God. Every single person in this room and that walks this planet, God created you. I wish you could stand here and look around like I do. It's, It's amazing. And to think that God created each one of you. And he gave you a gift. He gave me a gift. And are we using that gift? Are we using that gift or are we just going through the motions? Now, I know this is a little bit real, but, but the fact is, every once in a while, we have to have a check and balance, don't we? We've got to come back. Or if we don't, we might watch, and we're just kind of drifting too far over here. And so Paul wrote to this church. You know what he did? He sent Timothy. Now, I'm talking about Paul. Sent Timothy to this church afterwards. You want to read about read Timothy, because he talks about that. He talks about him staying on track and ministering to these people. But the complaint was that they were too busy, that they were famous for their deeds. They were famous for what they were doing. But how did they represent Christ? Because in the Bible, throughout, all the way through the New Testament, we see that here's the thing we can do, we can sit in this sanctuary until the cows come home, but if we ain't loving Jesus and loving people, we are spinning our wheels. And it's important that we pull back and recognize that. Spiritual bumblebees, that's what they were. That's what they were. It's important to remember why we're doing what we do. And without love, if we're not motivated from love, our witness as Christians isn't where God wants us to be. In in the book of Corinthians, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. And they had lost their first love. How about you? How about me? Where is our first love? How am I representing Christ? How are you representing Christ? How does the church represent Christ? See, that's, that's, what, that's what my vision is for this, for this church, this Burlington Baptist Church. My vision is that we represent Jesus and that we love people. How do I know if I'm operating from the motive of love? It's a good question. How would you know that? I was reading, and one pastor I, I read, he, he came up with some questions, and I think these questions are really good. Listen to this. This is how we might know. It might indicate if we're losing our first love. First one, do we find ourselves untouched by worship? A sign. Untouched by worship. And I'm not just talking here. I'm talking about when you're riding down the road listening to Caleb. I'm talking about when you, when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody and you don't take it or you have an opportunity. God speaks to you and you're not touched by that. Do you find ourselves exhausted and resentful when we're serving? <laughs> That's a good question right in the moment we're in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why do we do what we do? Is it to be seen? No. We do it because... Because we love the Lord And we do it because he loved us Do we feel unappreciated Are we getting unjud- uh, judgmental? That could be another sign Are we unmoved by the needs of others God help us if that's the case Notice what he says to this church This church who had lost their first love Notice what he says And this is, this is so important He says repent Now I got to tell you something <laughs> I like that word Because I've, I've done a lot of that And it's so beautiful that God loves you and loves me that if we mess up, just like the church at Ephesus, we get a do-over if we repent. And you know what they call that? Grace. Grace. It's God's grace. And when God forgives us and we truly repent, that means we turn, we're not as judgmental with other people, are we? We're not as hard on other people. We're, we're, we're in fact we're reaching out to people, maybe that don't look like us, don't act like us, and, and, and aren't in the same things that we are, but we love them because we recognize that God loves them just like he loves us. It's amazing. The issue is that our love for God should motivate what we're doing. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I have this complaint: you don't love each other as you did at first. They had grown cold in their love. They had grown cold in their love. And he tells them to repent. Don't just go through the actions, but remember the source of why we're doing what we're doing. Then, then look, watch this. It goes down to verse 6 of chapter 2. That's where we're at, talking about this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says this, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And what in the world is that talking about? Well, there was this guy, and his name was like Nicholas. If you go back in the book of Acts, he was one of the first deacons. This guy, he decides he's going to go out on his own, and he starts preaching stuff that isn't true. What? Yeah. And they rebuked him for it. They rebuked him. You know what? I'm going to tell you something, folks. There are false prophets in the world today. There's good and there's evil. There's a heaven and there's a hell. That ain't real popular to some people, but, but the book talks about that. And they rebuked this guy. Because he was getting people to follow him instead of following Jesus. And they rebuked him and, and they were commended for that. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This was a heretical doctrine and it was being preached and taught. And they stood against it. And you know what? Sometimes we have to stand against wrong too. There is right and there's wrong. God desires a servant heart, He desires, deserves a servant hearted leader who will empower people and equip people. You want to see a church that's on fire? It's a church that's reaching other people to reach other people to reach other people because that's what the New Testament teaches us. And that's the model. That's the church. That's what was going on in Ephesus. The city was flipped upside down because they loved the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, and I I punched this phrase a while ago, but I'm going to punch it again. Watch this. And then he says this phrase again. It's a familiar one. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit And understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now let that just soak in for a minute. There's a couple things here. The King James Version, when I was growing up, it said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And that verse is used in the Bible in another place. There's Gospels in the Bible, right? You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Synoptic Gospels. They tell some of the same stories, and they're very familiar. John's out here. He tells stories, and they're true, but they're not always exactly the same stories. I mean, it's not the same accounts of the same stories. He's talking about things different. And these three mention, if anyone have ears, let him hear. And you know how many times it's mentioned? Seven times. And John's on the Isle of Patmos, and he says, if any man have ears, let him hear. And you know how many times he says it? Seven. Coincidence. No, no, no. God has a plan. God is working in this. Now watch this. He says to everyone who is victorious, if we have ears to hear and we obey, he says, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Those of you who have been involved in this church, you know that we've had a lot of funerals over the last year and a half as I've been a pastor. I always read a passage out of Revelation Because it's a book of hope, you guys. It's a book of of hope and a book about the future, but it's also a book about the present. Where else can you find a book that talks about God wiping the tears from our eyes? What a promise that is. He's talking about a tree. He's talking about a tree. We're in the last book of the Bible. We're in the book of Revelation. No S. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and he's talking about a tree. Where else is he talking about a tree? The very first book. You think that's a coincidence? Now, here's, here's something interesting. That goddess Artemis, the pagan god that they were worshiping, this big temple that they had built, guess what was in the middle of that temple? A tree. And they believed that it just kind of descended and it was kind of you know, mystical and all this sort of thing. And if you committed a crime in that culture, you could run to that tree, and if you got there before they caught you, you were given grace. He knew that. As he talks about this, but he's talking about a tree, about a tree that's not like any other tree. You see, you got this tree in the old, last part of the book, and you got this tree in the front part of the book. There's another tree about right here, and it looked like that, sort of. And on that tree, Jesus died for you and me. And I'm telling you, man, you ought to be jumping like somebody just got a catch and was in double overtime running the end zone right there. That's exciting. That's exciting because. Because of what he did on that tree, there's hope for us. And because we love him, we want to share it with other people. You see, the tree of life, there is a heaven. And there's a time for those who are Christ followers, we will gather home. And that's what we read in this story and in this book, that God wants us all to be a part of that. Those who are victorious, he says, I will give from the tree of life. The Jewish rabbis believed that in paradise, the tree of life would be in the middle of heaven and that all might eat of it. And he's speaking about this tree. Everybody in that culture understood it. I don't have a tree in my yard that I go out and pick apples or pick something off of or oranges, so I don't understand some of this stuff. It's not. In, I have to get in the culture of what they're in, and that's why it's so important, guys, that we, we do the backdrop on this stuff. The church at Ephesus, what's the conclusion? What's the takeaway for us today? What can we learn from this? Here's, here's a couple things that I think we need to remember. Number one is that, that The good news is that we can be rekindled, that we can draw to Jesus. But the big takeaway from this is that we're to love one another. In my mind, the big takeaway is to love each other and to remember our first love. And why we're here, why we come to this place, is because he first loved us. And we're not just going through the motions. That we're doing it because we truly, truly love Jesus. It's not just about going through the actions. It's about our motives, and it should be, be because he loved us. There was a preacher in America years ago, and his name was Jonathan Edwards. Great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, and he preached and was well-known, and he was very religious. And he, he had this concept kind of thing happening where he, he caught himself being religious without meaning. And here's what he said. I want you to listen very closely. It's written in a little bit different English version, but, but you'll get the gist of it. He says, I was concerned about the things of religion and was abundant in duties. I prayed five times a day in secret. It was my delight to abound in religious studies. But then one day, I was reading 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. And here's what it says. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. Because he is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And then he goes on, Jonathan does, and says, as I read this, there came into my soul, and was as if it were diffused through a sense of glory to the divine being. Boom, he had a connection. Being a new sense quite different from anything I'd ever explained before, or experienced before. I thought with myself, how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God would be wrapped up in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him forever. I kept singing over and over these words of the scripture to myself. Watch, here it is. And I went to pray to God that I might enjoy him. And I prayed in a manner that was quite different from what I used to do. It was with affection. Whoever has ears to hear, let us hear. The message is grace and hope. The message is for you, and the message is for me. Rejoice in that. Be excited about that, because when we recognize what God's done for us, we can't help but share the good word. Don't just go to church. Let's go be the church. Amen? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for... This passage, and I thank you, God, for these men of faith and, and the women of faith that we read about in the Bible who, who give us examples. <laughs> and then we can see that it can be done with your help. And God, as we, we read this passage today at the, about this church in Ephesus and in this culture, we see, God, how that you can work if we'll be obedient to you. And so, Father, we ask you for grace. And mercy, and we ask you, God, to give us the grace to carry out your will for us as individuals. As we leave this place today, we pray, God, that you will help us to share your message and to cherish our first love, which is walking with you. God, help us to love each other. Help us to be patient with each other. Help us to stop judging each other, but to love one another in the way that Jesus loved us. May we take this word and hide it in our hearts, Lord. Jesus.